Hello, it's Paul Scott here with my usual weekend roundup of the previous week's Small Cap Valley reports on Stockopedia.com that I co-write with Graham Neary. Uh, and I'd just like to say, actually, before we get into the individual companies, thank you to all the subscribers and readers. I've been really uh, amazed, actually, at how the readership has held up. We see a, a number of reads each day, and it's, it's barely changed from um, when the markets were booming. And same with the thumbs-ups that uh, some of the readers give our reports, which we really like, really appreciate. It's great to to get feedback. So thank you to everyone who's remained incredibly loyal and continuing to subscribe to Stockopedia. And we're getting great reader comments as well. We've we've, um, always have a a, a really interesting discussion after the articles, and I try to respond to uh, the various queries and so on. So it's... um, yeah, I'm very happy with how things are going. Of course, it's in the a, a savage bear market in small caps, but this is when you get your buying opportunities, isn't it? And people's mood is very negative, but we have to invert that. I always feel what's most likely to happen to the markets is the opposite of how I'm emotionally feeling. And I'm still very excited about all the buying opportunities out there at the moment, but also plenty of risks. So, But I'll come on to sort of more general market and macro commentary near the end in the meantime i'll just launch into some companies please bear in mind i'm just an enthusiastic commentator i'm not a guru i don't know what markets are going to do in the short or long term um but i like analyzing the individual companies to me it's it doesn't feel like work it's like um it's like doing a puzzle trying to fit all the bits together for each individual company so that's what i enjoy doing and i enjoy sharing it with uh, the stockopedia readers readers that came out wrong anyway monday 8th of august we looked at adf this is one of my shares i've got a small position in it uh it was just an inline trading update now this company provides uh, outside broadcasting facilities for the tv uk tv and film industry which i think is a sector that's doing pretty well now um covid the pandemic Uh, is, uh, you know, they're catching up with a backlog of TV and film productions. And ADF ADF has a very big market share in the UK, pretty dominant, really. And as the overall cost of a production, hiring these um, facilities, which are sort of like mobile uh, makeup rooms, um, catering vans, all you know, little uh, sort of RVs for the, for the, not little, quite big, for the stars to... Uh, rest in while they're uh, while they're broadcasting. The, these things are in demand, and they've got a nice nice visibility because they're booked months and months in advance. And basically, I think this is a good business. And um, bear in mind as well with the balance sheet of ADVF, ADF, um, the fundraising, the placing was done in January t- 2022, and it, most of the money raised was fresh money for them to expand and to buy and lease more of these vehicles that are in very high demand. So the balance sheet looks quite weak. I think it was only about 3 or 4 million net asset value. But the next reported balance sheet, as at June, will include the results of, uh, I think it was a £15 million placing. So the balance sheet will look a lot better when it's next published. Um, I do have a slight worry about this sector, that maybe you could be at or near peak earnings, 
Um, Zoo Digital is another company in this sector, but in a different activity. Zoo, Z-O-O, they do uh, localization of um, audio, of TV and film content, particularly for the streaming services, which uh, have been un- undergoing a bit of a boom. And it's things like subtitling and dubbing the audio to localize it for different countries. Um, now, I think the zoo is doing really, really well. The forecasts are rising. Shares have done very, very well. But it's on a really high rating now, and I'm not convinced that zoo's earnings are necessarily sustainable. So that gives me a read across to ADF, ADF. I can never say that right, can I? I think it's because I'm thinking of ADVFN, <laughs> which is totally unrelated. ADF. So, um, you know, is that looking at peak earnings, possibly? I don't know. But it's only on a P of about 12 or 13, ADF is. So I, I think that's, that's a nice, attractive valuation and factors in maybe that earnings may not necessarily rise that much in future. Also, I've heard that the TV and film industry in the UK is, uh, is, a, is a booming sector generally on a long-term basis because of very favourable tax credits in Britain for that industry and of course the fact that English is spoken here which is much more attractive for American companies basing themselves here and the time zone is favourable as well and of course it's much harder now for uh, EU companies to compete in the UK market and likewise it's tough for UK companies and UK artists to tour in um, the EU. I wish they'd get this sorted because um, it's obviously a hangover from Brexit, but the, the EU does have a scheme for um, overseas artists to tour um, without needing visas, and um, for some reason the UK doesn't seem to have joined that scheme, and both sides are blaming each other. My family are musicians, and they say it's a big issue for touring musicians, and as a result some gigs are being cancelled in Europe, and likewise... Some uh, European artists don't want to come to the UK. So I think it would be nice to get that sorted, which I'm sure is doable. So ADV, ADF looks quite interesting, I think. Now, Jules, J-O-U-L. I'm a long-suffering shareholder of this one. I got it horribly wrong, I'm afraid, and I lost hundreds of thousands of pounds on this one because I didn't realise how bad the company's trading was getting. Um, it was a typical thing where they sort of dribbled out the news piecemeal and late, by which time the shares have had absolutely crashed. Um, so sorry on this one. I just, in the short term anyway, I got it completely wrong. But the um, the uh, the management were, were no good, unfortunately, and they've uh, they've gone. But they haven't put in place a replacement CEO. And I think the turnaround on this is sort of is yet to happen. I jumped the gun on the on the turnaround. I think. I've I've reduced my position size here more through necessity because it was bleeding so much money in my Spreadex account that I I had to downsize the position. But I'm I'm still hopeful I'll get something back. And we did have some good news from last week's Sunday papers, which published the fact that apparently it's in advanced discussions with Next, uh, NXT, obviously the sector behemoth in uh, fashion retail, um, about them taking a a strategic stake to prop up the company's finances. Um, it's rumoured to be 25% of the company uh, for uh, £15 million, which, of course, would be great if it happened, but it is dilution for shareholders. Um, but there'll obviously be very significant benefits from having jewels, from having 
next as a major shareholder in Jules. So um, they'll have an incentive to promote Jules products on their on their multi-brand platform. So I think that's generally quite good news for Jules. And the shares have almost doubled from the recent low, gone from about 22p up to about 40p. I think that's probably a sensible reaction. Um, I'd like to see the deal actually signed, and I'd like to see new management in there with a proper plan to turn this business around. It obviously needs massive layers of cost stripping out. Um, fortunately, I think the lesson I've learned from Jules um, is that you know a business that's run by the design and buying people um, and branding people is 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 doesn't have enough hard-headed, cold financial people keeping a lid on what they do, keeping control on what they do, um, is, is, is high risk. So that's the lesson I've learned from this one here. And I think, again, I probably should have at least considered downsizing my position earlier. You know, I am thinking in terms of maybe I should have informal stop losses on some of these more speculative things. So I think the, the, the debate still rages about stop losses. Obviously, with hindsight, over the last year, stop losses would have been very useful. But you've also got to bear in mind that in more normal markets, stop losses will often, often just take you out of a good company at the worst possible time when you should be adding to it. So I don't know. I think the jury's still out on that. Everyone just does whatever they're comfortable with, don't they? Now, Graham covered three companies on... Um, Monday, so obviously read Monday's reports for those. I don't want to put words in Graham's mouth. I also looked at the works, another very small retailer, WRKS. Now, the, this was a, a, a mixture, trading update here, better than expected results for year ending April 2022, but it was due to um, being able to release some of their stock provisions of one and a half million. Now, they quote EBITDA, which is a totally meaningless number. I wish companies with multiple sites and software companies would stop referring to EBITDA. It's a meaningless number because it strips out so many costs, in particular capitalised development spend, which can often be a large chunk of the payroll at software companies. And for multi-site companies, it strips out a load of the rent payments, which now go through depreciation and finance charges under the ridiculous IFRS 16. So please, companies, stop this. EBITDA is not your profit. Stop reporting EBITDA as if it were your profit. It isn't. And it wastes so much of my time every day having to refer back to broker notes to find out what the profit before tax figure would be. And it's often a fraction of the EBITDA number. So anyway... WRKS said better trade than expected, but it put out a profit warning for the new year. Um, And I just don't think I can value this share at the moment because it's been such a huge beneficiary from business rates relief. I think when the clean numbers come through with a consumer slowdown on discretionary spending that we know is in the pipeline because of all these uh, ridiculous massive energy cost increases, but I'll come on to that at the final section... Um, and, you know, WRKS didn't really make much money pre-pandemic. It was it was in trouble pre-pandemic. Has it really been transformed since then? I don't know. I think the jury's out on that. So I know some people like it and think it's dirt cheap. I'm, I'm not convinced personally. But I can see that there are bull and bear arguments on WRKS. And one of the bull points is that they've just uh, renewed bank facilities and have been enlarged from 20 million to 30 million 
agreed up until November 2025. So if the bank is that comfortable, and this is with HSBC, then I think that's a, a bullish signal. The bank are telling you, actually, we think this business is fine and we're willing to increase our exposure to it. So I think that's, um, that's very interesting. So, But I want to see what the next set of numbers look like. Um, so I'm holding fire on that. Uh, so, yeah, I've, my conclusion was just with WRKS. I can't value it at the moment. I don't know, I don't know because I haven't got enough information. But the market cap is peanuts. And if they have genuinely turned this thing round and it's going to make better profit margins than pre-pandemic, could be interesting. So um, I'm a bit uh, on the fence on that one. So moving on next to Tuesday this week, what have we got there? Let's call it up. Oh, yes. Uh, now, one of the readers flagged APH, which is Alliance Pharma, not one I particularly follow. Um, JCPR was the reader's name, flagging up an unusual situation where KPMG, the auditors, have resigned and published um, a vague but critical-sounding resignation letter. Now, the, the, these resignation letters are very, very rare, and they normally only happen where something fairly serious has, has gone wrong. Um, and KPMG says their relationship uh, with the company broke down over, over a corporate governance concern. So vague, absolutely ridiculous. Um, I don't like this. I don't like it at all. You know, it shows, I think, that... I don't know. Um, it shouldn't happen like this. You know, if you part company with the auditor over a disagreement, you agree to disagree, and that should be it. You shouldn't get a critical letter being published by the auditor in public and sent out to all the shareholders. So I'm a bit wary on that. And we had a good discussion in the reader comments about Alliance Pharma. Um, so that was that was quite interesting. Now, Bellway, BWY, this is nearly 3 billion market cap, so it's not a small cap, but I always read the House Builder updates because it gives you a nice read across for uh, so much hinges on um, the house building sector and sentiment in the housing market, and it's pretty positive. They refer to, Bellway refers to continued strong demand. It says mortgage availability remains good and there's low unemployment. Now, the help-to-buy scheme ends in March 2023, but Bellway doesn't sound particularly concerned about that. Um, and it said it's offset it, offsetting higher costs with higher selling prices. Now, with base rates only forecast to peak at maybe 3% or something, which, of course, is negative 10% uh, in real terms for infl if inflation does peak at 13%, as the Bank of England suggests. So... It's still very historically cheap to borrow against houses. And, of course, nominal wages are going up for people in employment by 7 or 8%, which means they can take out bigger mortgages. So I don't see any reason to expect house prices to suffer um, a particularly big correction, but obviously that's subject to, to change. Um, Bellway also said the availability of materials is gradually improving, but some regional shortages, which is another company indicating that supply chains are begin beginning anyway to uh, relax and house builders generally are sitting on big cash piles so whereas in previous downturns they generally had um, quite significant net debt and got into serious problems so it's a very very different much more positive situation now I think for house builders and I'm not concerned about 
the housing sector generally. I think it's the way things are set up right now. Obviously, this is subject to whatever happens in the news flow, but it looks okay at the moment, and the share prices have factored in the big downturn. So I think they're attractive house builders on cheap valuations. Oh, that's not pausing. Sorry, I just hit the pause button, but it didn't pause. Never mind. Let's carry on. RPS. Now, this has been um, a stellar result for bulls. I've got to mention... Uh, oh, it was a takeover bid at £2.6p, which was a tremendous premium of 76%. That uh, really is amazing. It's a consultancy business. Now, I've always assumed that people businesses like consultancy businesses wouldn't attract premium valuations. But this several of them have. There have been several takeovers, usually by foreign competitors. Uh, and well done to Simon Hedger, a sector expert who publishes his views on uh, consulting businesses. And he seems to get it spot on. Um, so I'm glad he's done well on this. He's a, he's, a, he's a decent guy as well. And he's in my network of uh, successful investors, and he's very highly regarded. So um, the bidder was a Canadian, a large Canadian consulting group. Now, the interesting thing about this was the, the, the bidder, WSP they're called, was rated on a PE of about 25, and that's roughly what they've paid for RPS. So I think the lesson to be learned from this is if we can find UK companies that are on PEs of about 12 or 13 or 14, um, but which are high-quality businesses and, and, and will make nice bolt-on acquisitions for foreign companies that are rated on a, P, a much higher PE, then you can see that's the attraction, isn't it? Although bids, I think, are often down to factors that you won't necessarily see in the figures. Um, if if a, an overseas bidder sees uh, a, a synergies that they can maybe find, they might value customer relationships very highly. I don't know. I think there are all sorts of reasons for takeover bids. And it's not always easy to spot them in advance. But well done to Simon Hedger, who did. Really uh, impressive stuff. And I'm, I hope he's done really well on it. Now, we had a really interesting discussion with the Stockopedia readers on Tuesday about when I asked them to flag up any potential uh, situations they might uh, that might be comparable. And I think there's one in particular that I really liked. So see Tuesday's report for that discussion. I also covered Zote Foams, ZTF, on Tuesday and came away very impressed. Uh, it shot up about 20% from the recent low. I looked at it when it was £2.76, and I see it ended the week at £3.06. So um, uh, a really nice update from Zote Foams. Now, I also had a Zoom with the management. Um, the PR company were quite keen for me to engage with them. Uh, which I did, and I came away with a really favourable impression. So I'd like to get Zope Firms in for um, an audio interview on my own little website, Quality Small Caps. I did ask them if they wanted to do that in a follow-up email, but didn't get a response. So I took that as a no. <laughs> but if they if they change their mind and they would like to, to chat to me, <clears throat> I'd be delighted to do that. And I only do uh, interviews with CEOs by... <clears throat> invitation from me to them and I don't charge anything so I only interview companies I think are good uh, it's got a nice balance sheet with some freehold property uh, debt it looks set to come down quite fast at Zote Firms because they've done the capex uh, it's performing well It's it's got pricing power which is a key uh, point we're looking for at the moment in the small cap value reports we only want to invest in companies with pricing power Zote Firms has that it's also got a nice little cherry on top 
of a sort of Blue Sky product, which is a fully recyclable drinks carton that is just started. It's in development. It's just going into full-scale trials. Um, I wouldn't add anything into the valuation for that, but if it does come off, and the company says they've got a very substantial amount of interest in it from potential customers, and the uh, unit economics of it are very good. So if that product, I think it's called Resource, with a Z and a hyphen, Resource, if that comes off, that could be pretty material, but it would be over you know, future years. It wouldn't be instant. So, But I think it's always nice to have a little... Uh, 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 some some exciting potential upside in for free. So I like Zoat Firms. I haven't bought any shares in it personally, but I probably, when finances allow, I'd like to have some of those in my portfolio. Graham looked at a couple of interesting companies, H&T, the pawnbroker, which I know he's liked for quite a while. He also looked at something called Crest Chick, or Crest Chic, um, ticker L-O-A-D. Oh, um, H&T, their ticker there is H-A-T. So Crest Chick or Load, the ticker, this looks really interesting. The numbers look amazing. So the only question I'd like, so well done on everyone holding that, because the profits have absolutely soared. Um, <clears throat> and the shares have done very well this year, one of the few bright lights among smaller caps. So well done to everyone for spotting that one. It used to be called Northbridge Industrial Services. The only, I think it restructured, the only question mark I've got on it, which I'd be delighted if anyone could answer this and leave a comment here or on Stockopedia, is what has changed and why are these load banks that the company makes, which seem to be sort of large electrical testing devices, why has demand for this suddenly gone through the roof? And margins are very, very high now on these products. And is it sustainable? Um, The only thing I would question is, you know, um, Crest Chick is now making fantastic profit margins. There's obviously a a surge in demand and pricing has gone through the roof. But that tends to attract competition generally. So I'd be a little bit worried about whether this is a flash in the pan or or is it in some way sustainable? Have they got some sustainable competitive advantage? I think that's the key uh, question mark. But in the meantime, uh, they're, they're doing great. It's significantly ahead of expectations, this update. Looks really, really interesting. Um... Right, moving on to Wednesday. Uh, for Imprint, the ticket is F-O-U-R. Now, this one put out a cracking update. Uh, it sells promotional goods to companies for marketing purposes. Uh, almost all the revenue is in America. Now, uh, I was looking at this back in June, and um, the share price had been on the, on the slide along with so many other companies. And I thought, I know this is a really good company. It was a mid-cap, but it just briefly dipped into uh, small-cap territory in June. Um, um, But it's since risen more than 50%. And we're seeing this with quite a lot of companies at the moment that are having spectacular bounce-backs, which is increasingly proving, I think, that the the indiscriminate market sell-off from we had in the first half of 2022 has thrown up some tremendous bargains. But the trouble is, it's working out which ones are which, isn't it? Which ones are the bargains and which ones are the companies that are really suffering with uh, downgrades and profits collapsing and so on. So that it's it, that, that's the challenge at the moment, I think, just separating those out. And I think the, the best guide is, is previous performance. 
just looking back at how companies have done in the past. And 4imprint has been a very, very good growth company, very well managed in the past. I miss this spectacular price rise, unfortunately, which um, I wish I'd had some funds available to buy buy them back in June. But never mind, can't win them all. Anyway, so it's re-rated to such an extent. Now, I, I went through the numbers, excuse me, and I think it's going to smash broker forecasts. It's very easy to work this out. You can just get a hold of some broker notes on Research Tree if they're available. And thank you to all the brokers that put, put stuff on there. It's incredibly helpful and a brilliant resource. I find it absolutely invaluable. And it's only £25 a month. I mean, I couldn't do without it. So um, thanks to Rob at um, Research Tree for setting this up and persevering with it. I, uh, I don't have any financial relationship with, with them at all. Um, I just think it's a great resource. Anyway, so... Uh, Yeah, I worked out from the broker notes, looking at what they're saying EPS would be in H1, it's obvious they're going to smash the full year forecast, because I checked back on Stockopedia where there's a section under the accounts tab on profit and loss where you can click on interim, and it splits each historic year into H1 and H2. So you can look back to 2019 and 2018 and see what the seasonality used to be pre-pandemic. And with four imprint, it, it, it generally made more profits in H2 than H1. So the fact that it's done, I think, 100 and... Uh, I can't, can't remember the figures. So you can clearly see that having done, I think, 119 US cents, as it reports in dollars, in H1, then it's going to smash the, the, the full year forecast because H2 is normally stronger, which means I think it's heading for 250 cents plus for the full year, and Librem have just raised to two hundred and sixteen cents. So, and any, I don't want to, I don't want to invest in anything where the broker forecasts look challenging. I'm looking specifically for companies where I can work out for myself that it's probably set up to beat uh, the forecasts, and that's uh, what Four Imprint clearly seems to be done. Uh, and and that that's what the markets worked out, I think, as well, because the share price has shot up to thirty three. And fifty, so it's not cheap anymore. But it's 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 a great company doing trading really really well. Uh, Hostel World HSW. Now I wasn't impressed with these interim results. I know um, it uh, travel has only had a partial recovery, but I'm not happy with the funding structure there. Um, all of the cash pile is more than offset by high cost debt from a U.S. investment firm and met large tax payroll tax arrears owed to the Irish government. So I think the unless it starts generating really strong cash flows, which it might do, you know, I mean, travel is improving, um, then I think this thing uh, could get into trouble, hostile world. So, and I don't think the valuation reflects the risk. Over 100 million market cap. Now, it's just way too high, I think. But we had a really good bull bear debate in the reader comments on in Wednesday's report. So have a look at that. I think uh, one of the readers posted a, a terrific uh, alternative, much more bullish view of the uh, of the prospects for Hostel World, which I thought was fantastic. And I think it's great that we kept the debate civilised and courteous rather than a slanging match that you see so, so in so many other places. So thank you for all the contributions. I think we had a great discussion on Hostel World. I think the bull argument is that if you look back to pre-pandemic, it was a very cash-generative business that paid 
generous dividends. And that is completely true. I think that is a, a fair comment. Although I, I would add to that, I would counter that a bit by saying that it was ex-growth pre-pandemic. And I think major competitors like Booking.com have just got vastly bigger marketing budgets. And I think uh, online marketing is so expensive now. That's a um, problem we're hearing from all sorts of e-commerce businesses at the moment. So I'm not convinced that Hostel World necessarily will get back to pre-pandemic level levels of profitability. But we'll see. Uh, also on Wednesday, I looked at CML Microsystems. Really interesting little company. And I tried to put a figure on the uh, property surplus property assets. Its head office in, um, in Essex... I googled it and found the site and found the planning application, and it's quite interesting. You can you can find so much out online, and they want to build a sort of uh, they want to enlarge the campus that they're on to build a housing estate for sixty houses on there, which obviously in Essex wouldn't wouldn't be cheap. But they've been battling for planning permission on this site for over ten years, so I'm not sure how much value we should put on the. Um, surplus property. It's also got tons of cash, despite paying out a, a special divvy last autumn. So it's a bit of a hybrid share where I would say half the market cap is the business itself and the other half is all this surplus cash and property. So I had a good rummage through that one. Graham looked at the specialist lender SNU and also he looked at Digital Box, which mm, I've got mixed feelings on Digital, digital Box. I won't preempt what what Graham said about those. Have a look at Wednesday's report if you're interested. Then on Thursday, what did we look at? I'm going to speed up as I've nearly got to my 30-minute deadline. Uh, Oh, I looked at Empresaria, interim figures. I've got a small position in this one, more through inertia, really. I just thought it was too cheap to sell rather than thinking it's an amazing company. It's performing fine. The Outlook comments say that 2022 calendar year should be in line with market expectations and they're seeing no sign of tough macro conditions affecting labour markets. So staffing companies are another sector I like a lot. They've halved in price generally because of macro worries, but they're pretty much all saying that uh, there aren't any problems so far with macro and that the skills shortages and tight labour markets are... um, meaning that demand is is still there. So that's an interesting one. Then I had a rummage through Fulcrum Utility Services, FCRM, which I've got a small, long position in. This is a very interesting special situation. Terrible share price performance, uh, but it refinanced. It's now got plenty of cash. It's paid off all the debt. Uh, They've got a new turnover specialist in a CEO from January. Now, this company really flags up the dangers uh, lurking under the surface where companies have signed uncompetitive contracts, which uh, which as a shareholder outside, you don't know. This is the thing. You just don't know what's lurking within any company that does contract work. You know, these contracts, if they're not not set up right with um, uh, allowances in them to raise prices due to inflation and so on, could be a ticking time bomb. So I think that's a good read-across point which makes me very nervous about investing in any contract businesses at the moment. I saw Capita and Serco, huge uh, outsourcing businesses, uh, have now come down to small cap territory. I might have a look at those, but without really knowing the details of all their contracts, an outside shareholder hasn't got a clue 
in my view, about how to assess those companies' prospects. And one of my friends in the city, sadly no longer with us, Tony Brewer, was a great friend of mine, um, used to have amazing long lunches with him, and just a lovely man, uh, very knowledgeable. He said to me, Paul, you know, as an outside shareholder, you have no idea what's going on at any listed company. You really don't, because it's only insiders who know how all these contracts are set up, who know what the competition are doing. And very often with small caps, these companies are dependent on a small number of absolutely key middle managers who you never meet, you never even hear anything of. Uh, You know, uh, the top people who do all the presentations and so on um, can be uh, immensely important if they're founders and entrepreneurs and that sort of thing. But if they're just hired hands presenting the company and trying to come up with strategy, they're often relying on the, this, uh, this small army of really talented people below them. Um, but anyway, Fulcrum, I think, looks interesting for special situations, investors only, um, because it's refinanced. And historically, this was a nice, profitable business. And they've got good recurring revenues from a valuable portfolio of um, owned assets, which could be sold on if it runs out of cash, but it doesn't look like it is going to run out of cash. So very cheap, I think, fulcrum, if they turn it round, but not for the faint-hearted, and it's not going to be a quick turnaround. Uh, what did Graham look at on... Oh, that was Fridays. So that was it. Graham doesn't work on a Friday. Did I do Thursday? Uh, hang on a minute. I think I might have... Oh, I missed Thursday. Right, going back to Thursday, the... Um, 11th of August. Right, now the big one on this day was Revolution Beauty. Another bombshell announcement, REVB. Uh, I've covered these in quite a lot of detail because I did flag up on the on the 2nd of August that I thought there was going to be another profit warning and a stock provision because you could work out, which I did from the previous figures. I published this on the 2nd of August so it wasn't hindsight. Uh, I said that I think they've got uh, almost a year's worth of inventories in stock, which uh, you could work out from the accounts um, that were a year uh, old. So um, the bombshell announcement came out uh, that that was correct, dropped another 50%, down to only about 8p. Now, I was thinking to myself, that looks really cheap at this level. Um, I didn't have the nerve to, to buy some, because in two days it bottomed out and doubled so well done to all the traders and gamblers who uh, went for that. You know, that was a, a pretty spectacular rebound, I've got to say. Um, I decided not to get involved for the simple reason that it's impossible to value. We don't know how big this stock provision is going to be. Um, and with the CFO resigning and then audit delays and then the auditors, the company saying they, weren't, they didn't anticipate any, anticipate any problems with the audit, which clearly wasn't correct. They then have to come out and say, oh, actually, yes, there are going to be additional provisions in the audit. You can't blame the new CFO, can you, really? But they should have been on top of those issues after being at the company a few months, I think. And the, the, the RNSs, I think, were misleading. So... I certainly don't trust management there, and uh, but it could be it could be cheap. But I think obviously a lot of those traders who caught the bottom and doubled their money are going to want to bank their profits, aren't they? So 
whether it continues rising, I don't know. Um, so I've just... If I, I, I'm not interested in gambling on that type of thing, but well done to people who call the bottom at 8p. Um, Mark's Electrical put out a, an update on Thursday, MRK. Slightly vague. Um, they hint that they're trading in line with rep- uh, expectations. Way outperforming the sector, which I don't really understand how they can be 30% of head, ahead of the, of, of the sector averages. But um, if they can continue with that, then obviously this is a really impressive company. I love management when I saw them on a webinar. But again, I'm not prepared to really bank on outperformance of that extent necessarily continuing. Okay, that's all the individual companies that I want to focus on. So I'll now take a little break and do a little bit of market commentary. Okay, I've refreshed myself with a cup of tea. So moving on then to some general market and macro commentary. These are really just things I've picked up from the press and from my own um, uh, observations from small cap commentary. The nice thing about covering about 500 small caps, I get to see a broad section of different sectors and companies and I'm still really mystified as to why some companies are doing so well and some companies are doing really badly. It's it's very polarising at the moment, isn't it? And it really comes down to pricing power. We've been on about this for a year, uh, so this is repetitive, I know, but pricing power is everything. So I'm really carefully scrutinising outlook comments and commentary generally to see if companies have got pricing power. Now, I mean, the main question at the moment is really this recovery. We've seen a massive recovery in American markets, which obviously uh, drive everything, particularly in the UK. We tend to follow America almost point by point on the major indices here. But um, the S&P, I noticed, has now, if you take from the top of the, the bull market late last year to the bottom uh, earlier this, late, quite recently, it was about, um, it, it's, re, it's recouped about half that, that loss, which is incredible really, isn't it? That's a really major rebound in the last month or two. So the big question is, can the American markets hold that? I mean, what seems to be fueling this current bull run in in the American market is hopes that inflation has now peaked. I saw American inflation did tick down slightly, and they have much lower taxes on petrol and or gas over there. Uh, so therefore, the lower oil price is feeding much more rapidly through to larger declines in fuel at the pump, which helps ease their inflation rate. Uh, John Authors wrote a really good. He, he, I mean, he, I love his stuff for, for macro view. So um, he, he he comments on all of this like uh, quite a lot about inflation. I don't really uh, know enough about it to know what's likely to happen to inflation or the markets. But uh, the U.S. markets seem to be anticipate seem to be much more forward looking than us. So when they see a signal that inflation may may have peaked, that's a big bull signal for them. Whereas in the U.K. Uh, investors tend to be much more short term and much more gloomy so I, I we don't which i think creates an opportunity you know if that market rebound and recovery in america a 50% of the bear market drop uh, if that that if that holds then it will trans- surely translate to a big rise in uk indices because i'm talking about the smaller and the mid cap ones because the FTSE is irrelevant really because it's just based on a large number of a small number of very large companies uh, which are 
you know, banks and pharmacies and uh, pharmaceuticals and resource companies which really dominate the FTSE 100 index. So I'm not really, I don't really follow that. But if you look at the small cap indices in the UK, the recovery so far has been nothing more than a bounce in a downtrend. So if that's about to break, and if we are in a a sustainable recovery fueled by optimism in the US, which always translates over into the UK sooner or later, I find, with the markets, then this could be a really good opportunity to be buying um, bombed out small caps. A lot of the stuff I'm looking at is rebounding very strongly. We've mentioned a few. Uh, I've mentioned a few in this in this podcast already that have bounced fifty percent or more from the recent lows. Personally, I'm not really that interested in chasing those sort of rebounds. I think well done to people who've made money on it, but I'm more interested in the ones that haven't rebounded at all, despite the fact they're putting out quite good updates. So that's my hunting ground, the next level down. And I think I'm finding just lots of really, really interesting shares that I think could comfortably double in the next two or three years. So I think there are fantastic buying opportunities out there at the moment, but I've got to have a recent and positive trading update. I'm not going to buy stuff just because it's cheap, because it may not be cheap. We could have, it could come out with a horrible profit warning. We were discussing in the Small Cap Valley reports this week about direct purchasing as well. It can be a good signal, but it not always is. So I think, again, the circumstances of each individual share and each individual director need to be scrutinised. But if it coincides with a lot of other positive facts and figures about the company, then I think... Um, it can be a useful signal. Now, the city itself, it looks like there's going to be a bit of a recession there. I notice Aberdeen, or Aberdeen, as they uh, now call it with no vowels, um, is cost-cutting because they've had 36 billion outflows of money, although 25 billion of that was a big contract with to manage Lloyd's pension fund, I noticed. Uh, Ennismore as well are laying off about 10% of their staff, I believe. I'm told that FinCap, the deal flow, has dried up. Um, and that, that generally, uh, uh, one of my friends in the city says it's it's dire at the moment for deals. So you're going to probably see a lot of people, unfortunately, being laid off because the, uh, you know, the cost base is flexible, and that's what happens when deals dry up. People get uh, made redundant. So uh, not good news there. Um, what else have we got? Oh yeah, now corporation tax. I know Liz Trust. Was, uh, I mean, she's coming out with anything, isn't she, to grab the headlines and then doing U-turns on a daily basis. But I do think overall, sorry about getting into politics, I think she's probably a bit more credible than Rishi Sunak to me personally. So I voted for her in the in the election because it's just the, the least bad of two options, I think. Sunak really put me off by starting his campaign about, you know, fiscal uh, orthodoxy and you know, balancing the books and having to wait till inflation comes down before boosting the economy and everything. I think that's nonsense. You know, that's just going to tip us into a far worse recession. And actually, fiscal drag at the moment is giving um, a great boost to uh, the the amount of tax being raised. I think it was estimated at something like 30 billion, because, of course, the thresholds have not gone up. So people are being tipped into 40 and 45 percent tax that weren't paying it before. So as payrolls are rising 7 8% or something at the moment, you know, the, the tax is rolling in. Now, obviously, I mentioned this last week, when all the, when all the benefits rises go through, 10% pension uplift in pensions and so on, civil service pay rises going through, there's going to be a nasty sting in the tail. But in the short term, they've clearly got room to act, and they've got to act. I think it's becoming clearer by the day, this energy crisis. 
Uh, and it is an energy crisis. It's not a, a general inflation crisis yet. But if they do nothing and let inflation rise to 13%, like the Bank of England have said, they're going to create a far bigger problem because the knock-on effect of that... Sorry, this is repetition from last week. So I think, you know, this is a time for really bold, decisive action to get those bills down. Otherwise, the economy completely craps out. And I think Liz Truss is probably more likely to be bold. And then they can sort out the deficit once the economy's back on track. That's always what's happened in the past. And I think um, that's the, the, the right way to go. So I think... I think the politicians are slowly coming around to realise that there's got to be really bold, decisive action on energy and major support for households. They'll have to do it, otherwise we're, you know, we're um, going to be in a terrible mess. Uh, UK economy shrank by 0.1% in Q2, I saw, which is basically flatlining. You know, these figures get revised by significant amounts, so I don't think uh, using the R word is necessarily something to 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 get to latch on to um i think those are probably only the main points this week so nothing earth shattering it's really all about whether whether this is a bear market rally or whether it's um and then then we head have another leg down or whether this is the start of a decisive turn in the markets i'll be able to tell you in about a year or two at the moment, I have no idea. I'm sorry about that. So, hence why I'm just sticking to the individual companies where I'm finding lots of absolutely lovely buying opportunities. I just wish I had a big pot of money to deploy some of it. And we flag those up, obviously, every day on the small cap value reports in Stockopedia, on stockopedia.com. And thanks again to everybody who's maintaining your subscriptions through tough times. We really appreciate it. So, um and I will leave it there before I run over the the, uh, the file size limit. <laughs> Take care, and uh, I hope you're enjoying the sun and it's not causing you too many problems. Righto, bye for now.